Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.13 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 22nd day of September 2023, and this is episode 798 of Bitcoin. And the Circle P is open for business. This this day, it is with Beisnerds. That is B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S, both on Twitter and on Noster. If you still have a dead bird account, I don't know what to tell you. Other than go seek out Beisnerds, B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S over there and buy some of his maple syrup. You'll have to DM him. Uh, that's the way he does business. And if you do buy any of his maple syrup, I get a cut. That's the way the Circle P works. He doesn't pay me straight up. He just pays me if I sell any of his product for him. And it's good maple syrup. I've had it. I've had several different. Actually, he's got, uh, I don't know, like at least three different ones. He's got a light maple syrup, a heavier one, and then he's got one for cooking. And the one for cooking is delicious. It's they're all delicious. But when he says it's for cooking, I'm like, why am not or why wouldn't I actually use this for like waffles? It's really dark. It's got a huge pronounced maple syrup flavor. All three of the of the uh uh, weights that he does is is awesome, and he does them all by hand. He collects all the sap, he runs it, he boils it down, and he packages it. It's not he's not drop shipping, he's not reselling. This is maple syrup created by Beisner's own hands. Again, get a hold of him to buy maple syrup and his sister Sarah's soaps. You can find him at bi. B-E-I-S-N-E-R-D-S. That's Beisnerds. And also, if you still do have a dead bird uh, account, uh, get as many people from there to be aware of Noster as you possibly can. We might say more about that a little bit later on. But we've got news, and we've got a really interesting one. I did not know this about Nick Carter, uh, but apparently he's quite the conspiracy theorist. Um, he is, Nick Carter has not graced, uh, the presence of Noster or his presence on Noster. Uh, he's still over on dead bird app, but I, so I haven't really heard what he's been saying lately, but I got a hold of this one from coin telegraph and it's being written by Martin young. And it's, it's interesting. Let's, let's do it. Nick Carter doubles down on the theory that Bitcoin was invented by the NSA. National Security Agency of the United States of America. Yeah, that's it's a little bit of tinfoil hattery here. But even if you're angry at Nick Carter for some of the things that he's done in the past, uh, he's he's not stupid. And there are some things about this that make me pause. All right. So just be aware. I'm not I'm not doing this to eviscerate the guy. I just, you know, 
this is a thing. This, it, 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 well, just yeah, here it is. Bitcoin advocate Nick Carter has come out to reiterate his support for the theory that the United States National Security Agency had something to do with the creation of Bitcoin. On September the 15th, Iris Energy co-founder Daniel Roberts seemingly revived the decade-old theory on Twitter after posting screenshots of a 1996 paper titled How to Make a Mint, The Cryptography of Anonymous Electronic Cash. The paper is one of the very first known discussions of a Bitcoin-like system, which proposes using public key cryptography to allow users to make anonymous payments without revealing their identity. The footer notes show that the research paper was, quote, prepared by NSA employees. Sources include cryptography expert Tatsuaki Akamoto, who co-invented the Akamoto Uchima public key crypto system in 1998. On September the 21st, Carter, a partner at Castle Island Ventures, doubled down on his support for the notion stating, quote, I actually do believe this. Before adding, quote, I call it the Bitcoin lab leak hypothesis. I think it was shuttered and in shuttered internal R&D project, which one researcher thought was too good to lay fallow on the shelf and chose to secretly release, end quote. Carter had actually held the theory for several years, proposing back in 2020 that, quote, if Bitcoin was written by NSA cryptographers as a monetary bioweapon, if you will, and the code escaped those sensitive confines, does that make it a virus that escaped from a lab? End quote. In 2021, he stated the only decent thing the NSA ever did for the world was let Bitcoin leak from the lab. <laughs> However, he went on to say that this doesn't imply that the United States government secretly controls all the Bitcoin. Another theory that often piggybacks on the Bitcoin NSA conspiracy theory, which suggests that the NSA created a backdoor to the Bitcoin code. Quote, in my version of this made up idea, the researcher did it without permission of the NSA and chose to leave the coins behind so as to preserve his anonymity, end quote. Further quote, there's a ton of other circumstantial evidence which supports this theory, he added. Meanwhile, some users drew attention to one of the cryptography academics, Tatsuaki Akamoto, listed in the 1996 paper suggesting that the name sounds very similar to Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin. Quote, the name could have been used as inspiration for Satoshi. That's not really a critical part of the theory, though. Carter said. Meanwhile, Matthew Pines, director of intelligence at cybersecurity firm Krebs Stamos, believes it was most likely a cross-fertilization of NSA crypto nerds and cypherpunk nerds, adding, quote, I suspect Satoshi, or at least his or their close intellectual collaborators, has close NSA work associations, but I don't think Bitcoin itself or the white paper were officially sanctioned. Former Goldman Sachs executive Raoul Paul has previously shared his own theory in an interview with Impact Theory earlier this year. Now, he said, quote, I think the United States government and the UK government invented it, which is the NSA and the GCHQ in the UK, who are the two world centers of cryptography, end quote. 
in August, Cointelegraph did a deep dive into the conspiracy theory and interviewed former NSA cryptanalyst Jeff Mann, who said that while it was feasible that the NSA could have created Bitcoin as a means to gather intelligence about its enemies, it's highly doubtful. However, Mann concluded that even if they did, it is likely we'll never find out the real story behind the world's most popular digital asset until it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> All right. Okay, so, um, yeah, let's say I'm looking over here at the, uh, uh, at, uh, the, uh, uh, chat in Zapstream. Do, 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 had something to do with it. They invented SHA-256 LOL. That I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm going to take your word for it. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. The, the NSA is going to be and has been at the forefront of cryptography for as long as they've been in, in existence. That's the whole point. Or one of, if not the whole point, one of the absolute major facets of something like intelligence gathering. I mean, shit, even all the way back into World War II when we found the Enigma machine and put, oh God, uh, Turing onto that thing so that we could figure out what the Germans were saying to each other. Um, cryptography has always been part of the intelligence gathering game. For as long as there's been code, there's been code breakers. So it doesn't surprise me one bit that the NSA invented SHA-256, but I don't know that, you know, I don't know that myself. Uh, I can go find out on Google, I suppose. It's odd that I've never really questioned where the hell SHA-256 came from. That's probably a, a a failure on my part, but it doesn't really matter because even if like, so here's the thing is that Nick Carter and all, you know, some of these other guys, the, the guy from Iris energy, this isn't, this isn't implausible. It's, it's not. And what it kind of speaks to is that let's say that it was a couple of NSA guys who were like, man, this is, this would be really cool. And they just did it anyway. Well, then that kind of speaks to the fact that there are good people everywhere. And that's a fact in the United States military, at the NSA, at the CIA, at the FBI, all the agencies that we love to hate will have people that inhabit those agencies that are good people, that do have their hearts and their minds and their souls in the right place. And some of them probably can't be bought because I guarantee you there's people like us that have always existed. Who is us? Long time frame thinking. Not short, you know, not short time horizons, long time horizons. Understanding what wealth really is and not just gobs and gobs and gobs of cash, right? It's, there are other kinds of wealth. These people exist everywhere. So that's one of the reasons why, while I don't necessarily believe the NSA is behind it, I can't shudder my mind against the fact that it's possible. It is. And what are the ramifications of it if it actually happened that way? Nothing. Why? Because mining is spread out all over the world. The, the code that operates on my Bitcoin node is the very same code that has no backdoor. You would see it in the code. The only way that you wouldn't see a backdoor is if you had an already compiled version of Bitcoin, which you should never do. Right, just you get the code, you compile it yourself, and then you put it on wherever you're going to put it. If you really want to, if you really want to make sure about stuff, this code 
that has been running on my node and has been updated a couple of times has been looked at, picked over, jacked with, talked about, cried about in every way, shape, form, fashion you can imagine. There's not a back door. It doesn't exist. If it did exist, everybody would have known about it years ago. So even if the NSA did have something to do with the creation of Bitcoin, I don't think it matters. And that's what I like about the very last sentence. Man concluded that even if they did, it is likely we'll never find out the real story behind the world's most popular digital asset until it doesn't matter anymore. And I think that that until is now. It doesn't matter anymore now. Let's move on to the subtle art of orange pilling by Jesse Calzani from Bitcoin Magazine. Throughout the years, I have presented the case for Bitcoin to a lot of people from a wide range of backgrounds. The list includes curious cab drivers, financial advisors, young software developers, skeptical policymakers, voiceless activists, and once even an IMF employee. Needless to say, Most of these attempts ended up falling on deaf ears. So I started asking myself, why would this person in front of me care about Bitcoin? And immediately realized that getting a response was particularly challenging because even among Bitcoiners, there is no common understanding of what Bitcoin is in the first place. Is it a peer-to-peer electronic cash as Satoshi originally defined it? Or... Should we consider it as a digital property, as Michael Saylor suggests, or maybe listen to Gary Gensler and define it as a commodity? As tempting as it is to look for a common definition for Bitcoin, doing so during a time when even the most simple linguistic choices are under scrutiny makes such a venture uninspiring and, frankly, pointless. What I decided to do instead was understand what each of those people really cared about, and how Bitcoin could fit into their view of the world rather than expecting them to understand a subject that, they barely, that they're barely that they barely interested in. As the saying goes, quote, if the mountain will not come to Muhammad, Muhammad must go to the mountain. By doing so, I realized it was unreasonable to act like Morpheus and expect my interlocutors to take a big orange pill. After all, if they approach, if that approach barely worked with Neo, who was, quote, the chosen one, why would it work with my brother-in-law or with the stranger sitting next to me on the plane? Because I've known for a while that Bitcoin's nature is multifaceted, the very idea of a single entry point to a multifaceted concept just didn't sound right. Depending on where one lives, social status, professional background, set of beliefs, value, and environment, there will be a different and smaller orange orange pill that will be more appropriate for each and every person. More categories may emerge in the future. Jason Lowry, for example, proposes a military interpretation of Bitcoin, and the recent ordinals frenzy reminded us of how valuable Bitcoin's block space can be as its own use case. But here are the four main buckets that I have identified so far, which represent four different sets of problems that Bitcoin is solving for. Number one, hard money. In this sense, it's more typical of a precious metal. Instead of the supply changing to keep the value the same, the supply is predetermined and the value changes, quote from Satoshi Nakamoto. The first sets of problems that Bitcoin attempts to solve originate from a financial system that is broken in its most foundational aspects. 
For those not understanding, the problem can be described as having a similar nature, but of course a different magnitude, to hyperinflation in Weimar Republic in Venezuela. The constant debasement of currencies, even the mild 2% inflation that we all know about, has a tremendous societal impact, with those who are close to the money printer being the only winners, a phenomenon also known as the Cantillion effect. Unlike fiat money and currencies such as gold, Bitcoin's total supply is capped, which makes it the most scarce store of value in the history of mankind and, therefore, an ideal store of value in the long term. For all those living in the half of the world that is experiencing double-digit inflation, this is a particularly interesting moment to understand how money printing and currency debasement can affect so many aspects of their lives. In fact, people who have lived through the 1970s and those living in countries such as Venezuela, Lebanon, Zimbabwe, Argentina, and Turkey will be more receptive to the idea of Bitcoin as a way to preserve their purchasing power in inflationary environments. This is arguably one of the most difficult aspects of Bitcoin to understand given the number of assumptions that it requires us to challenge, like controlled inflation is good for the economy or fiat currencies are stable. Yet, it's arguably the most powerful orange pill that one could take. Number two. Superior Payment Network Humans have invented the best financial tool in our history, and it's an exciting time to be alive and use it, according to Jack Mallers. For the first time in human history, money and a payment network are integrated into one open global system. Not only can Bitcoin serve as a store of value in the long term, as explained above, but it also functions as a global medium of exchange that does not require any third party. In a few seconds, money can be sent anywhere in the world by only paying a fraction of a cent. Compared to bank transfers, credit cards, and remittances, sending money through Bitcoin is significantly cheaper and faster. People who don't like Bitcoin as a store of value can just use it as a payment rail by converting it to the local currency at the two ends of the transaction. Why do that instead of using legacy systems? Perhaps to quickly send money during earthquakes and wars or to bypass remittance companies that take weeks to transfer money and charge up to 10% in fees. The potential of Bitcoin just as a payment network extends to the most unthinkable areas. Micropayments have the potential to boost the creator economy and or solve the problems that have been haunting social media. Number three, freedom tech. It would be a dark, dark world if Bitcoin didn't exist. Alex Gladstein. The two previous perspectives address the common criticism that Bitcoin is useless. But another common criticism is the fact that just like cars, computers, and most technologies, Bitcoin is used by criminals. Oh oh my God, the humanity. As crazy it might sound to many, that's a feature, not a bug. Because in those instances where it's ethnicity, religion, sex, or political views that determine whether one is a criminal, having a financial system that cannot be weaponized by the government is one of the best insurance policies you can wish for. That that is particularly true for two-thirds Two-thirds, count them, two-thirds of the global population that live in backsliding democracies or autocratic regimes. Those who care about freedom and human rights should be paying very close attention to this technology. 
Bitcoin has already provided lifeline support for individuals in need for over a decade. WikiLeaks would not have been able to expose serious violations of human rights and civil liberties without Bitcoin. Similarly, many in North Korea, Iran, Afghanistan, Ukraine, Hong Kong, Belarus, Nigeria, and Russia also use Bitcoin as a tool to escape the control of government censorship. As we move away from physical money and the potential for financial surveillance and censorship increases exponentially, the world will greatly benefit from an additional set of checks and balances to limit the power of governments and corporations. Understanding this is very important for all those that are active in promoting individual freedom and human rights in the most authoritarian corners of the world. Number four, the energy buyer of last resort. It's a win-win for everybody. It's a win for the environment and an inarguable win for the economy. Dennis Porter. Lastly, there is a relatively small crowd of people who might be able to appreciate Bitcoin for a very different set of reasons. Bitcoin constitutes an unprecedented opportunity to build a cleaner, more resilient, and more energy efficient infrastructure. Bitcoin can mitigate the problem of intermittency, the demand supply mismatch that occurs with renewable energy, and help with the $13 billion problem of congestion of the electric grid in rural areas. Bitcoin miners can strengthen these grids and incentivize the deployment of more renewable energy by adapting to the fluctuations of power generation schedules since their rigs can be turned off at any moment without notice. Commonly referred to as an energy buyer of last resort, Bitcoin miners are perfect for demand response programs. Last year, Bitcoin miners in Texas returned up to 1,500 megawatts to the grid, enough to heat over 1.5 million small homes or keep 300 large hospitals fully operational. There's at least four orange pills, and people don't need to take them all. One of the things that I learned during my Bitcoin journey is that this is not a monofunctional technology like a washing machine or an elevator. Because Bitcoin solves many different problems, its perceived value and utility will change significantly depending upon who you talk to. Those living in South Carolina might not care about censorship resistance or privacy as much as the local jobs that are created by a new Bitcoin company. The Turkish population might have not cared about Bitcoin as an inflation hedge, given the country's situation, though it should, during the earthquake earlier this year, but just needed a way to receive money as fast as possible. North Korean defectors like Yonomi Park are not really interested in how Bitcoin micropayments can support artists online while they're being sold for less than $300 as sex slaves. Listening and trying to understand who you are talking to is the most important thing that you can do when presenting an idea. That's particularly true with Bitcoin, given the negative bias most people have towards it, how complex it is to understand, and how difficult it is to challenge some of the greatest assumptions that most people have. (laughs) This simple framework is an attempt to strategically identify the areas of interest of people who are new to Bitcoin and avoid overwhelming them with a big, fat orange pill that they might not be ready for. Instead, by choosing between hard money payment system, freedom technology, and energy buyer, I am now able to better structure conversations and elevator pitches when engaging with people and answering the usual, uh, tell me more about this Bitcoin thing question. So go ahead, choose your orange pill 
And remember the most important for question for Bitcoin or the most important question for Bitcoin is why would one care about it? Okay. So, <clears throat> oh, uh, in pub one X V 50 CMX, I am now reading, or I w- just got finished reading this piece from Bitcoin magazine entitled the subtle art of orange pilling by Jesse, Jesse Colzani. And it's an interesting, it's actually, it's not interesting. It's a very utilitarian view of the orange pill, right? I mean, when you come at somebody and you want them to take the orange pill, the question that I think we don't ask is where are we coming from? What is it that you know? What is it that you think is important about Bitcoin? Well, that's what you're going to try to impart because your audience is yourself. See, you're you're projecting onto another person who you may not be related to. Maybe you are. Maybe you just met him. Maybe you've known him for years. Maybe you went to college with him. Don't you know? Maybe he stole your girlfriend in high school, but you're still friends for some for some reason. You know that shit happens, right? But that person, no matter how well or how unwell you know that other person is not you. They do not share you as an audience. You are not the audience. And I think what we what we end up doing accidentally is that we view every single person that we see as ourselves. Well, clearly, I think this is important, so therefore you should think this is important. But that's not the case, ever. Audience identification is one of the hardest things that a speaker, a writer, a teacher, even a teacher has an audience. Who's who's the teacher's audience? Their class. What's the demographic? I don't know. It depends on if they're teaching kindergarten or elementary or middle school or high school or college. Or even graduate school is completely different than being an undergrad in college. It's a completely different audience. They have completely different wants, needs. They're, they live in a completely different time of their lives. They're impacted by, like, telling a child about inflation is about as dumb <laughs> as treating an undergrad, an undergrad like they're in kindergarten. And some teachers do that. Why? Well, because a child has, there's no impact on a child of inflation other than the fact that their parents are pissed off, but there's no way to communicate that. However, if you were to tell a child, you know, like, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 11 that, uh, you know, tell them about a bank account. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't have one unless you have my permission. That's right. I, this is what I've done to both my kids. I've said, well, you can't have a bank account unless I go with you and, and help you get one because you're not allowed to have one. Oh, you want to piss a kid off? You tell them they're not allowed to do something. That'll piss a kid straight off. And say, you know, but, but anybody can get a Bitcoin wallet. doesn't matter how old you are. You just have to be able to understand how it works. That's it. The, the audience is important here. And that's why this piece is has a grand utility. And I think we should think about that, you know, often. I I really do. Now, into the FTX debacle. Here we go, flying headlong into the storm. FTX claims trading. Okay, let me try to do this, give this headline justice. FTX 
Claims trading nears 35% of the debt amount in secondary markets. What the hell does that even mean? I don't know. Hopefully, Navesh Rusky from Decrypt will kind of line us out as to what the hell's going on here. Investors are actively scooping FTX claims in an unregulated market for bankruptcy claims, according to Bloomberg analysis of FTX's court uh, documents. According to claims market data, FTX debt is trading at approximately 35% of their original claim value. Okay, I'm going to pause to kind of like, you know, here's what I think is going on. There are people out there that are literally buying the bankruptcy claims, the debts, the old debts of FTX, hoping that they can buy them for whatever is for a price that is underneath whatever their portion of the debt that they now own gets upon completion of bankruptcy. That's where we're going with this. These claims can represent anything from customer customer deposits to electricity bills owned by the exchange. Bloomberg's analysts recorded a sale of more than $250 million worth of FTX debts to three investors in Silverpoint Capital, Diameter Capital Partners, and Attester Capital. They also saw a $23 million claim from the fortune cookie distributor sold to Hudson Bay Capital Management for an unspecified amount. The report added that more claim shave likely changed hands than reportedly reported currently in excess of $100 million as investors sometimes wait months to file the paperwork documenting a trade. The market price of claims in the secondary market has surged, rising from approximately 15% at the beginning of 2023 to its current value. This increase in demand is likely due to the progress made by the FTX restructuring team led by John J. Ray III and ongoing court proceedings involving jailed FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried and now his parents. According to popular crypto trader Benson Sun, claims buyers are expecting a 100% return on their investment in five years. Sun added that various factors can influence the secondary market conditions moving forward, such as the possibility of clawbacks, changes in claim scale, restructuring timelines, bid offers, and asset liquidation prices. According to the latest court filings, dated September the 11th, Around 72% of individual claimants have to agree with or dispute their scheduled claims. Only 10% have agreed with their claims and another 18% has disputed them. Some users have reported facing issues in the KYC process. However, the firm is clarified by saying that it's only necessary to begin the KYC process. It's not mandatory for you to have a verified KYC status in order to submit a claim. Customers have until September the 29th, 2023 to file a proof of claim if they dispute their schedule claim. All right, so there's one thing that this is flashing to me, and that is that even though they said, oh, people can wait years, all of a sudden when you get a jump of people buying the debt, hoping they get more on what it is that they bought at the close of bankruptcy, kind of flashes a signal that the bankruptcy and the end and the resolution of that bankruptcy is coming fast or at least coming closer. So it's possible that we may see a resolution to this faster than we thought because these claimants or these, these guys are buying this debt and it's jumped from 15% to 35%. That's sort of flashing a, a market signal to me that suggests that this, this could be over faster than we thought. And God knows, I hope so. 
I, I really do. Uh, where are we? Where are we at? Um, let's see. Mount Gox. Yes. Yeah, speaking of bankruptcies that are that are in de- indeed taking forever and a day, this one's going to take forever and a day plus one. Mount Gox extends repayment deadline of estimated $3.7 billion plus in Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash payout. This is Mehran Roki from the Daily Hodl. Defunct crypto exchange Mt. Gox is extending its deadline to repay about $3.7 billion worth of Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash to its creditors. In a new announcement, Mt. Gox rehabilitation trustee Nabuyaki Kobayashi says that the crypto exchange will not be able to make certain repayments by their original deadline of October the 31st, 2023, and has extended the date by a whole year. Quote, the rehabilitation trustee will not be able to complete the repayments by the deadline of the base repayment. The early lump sum repayment and the intermediate repayment, all of which were set for October 31st, 2023. Therefore, with the permission of the Tokyo District Court, the rehabilitation trustee has changed the deadline of the base repayment, the early lump sum repayment, and the intermediate repayment from October the 31st, 2023 to October the 31st, 2024, respectively. However, according to Kobayashi, the extension only applies to creditors who failed to disclose necessary information on time. Those who did will be paid by the original deadline of October the 31st, 2023. Mt. Gox was infamously hacked in 2011 when bad actors gained access to wallets containing BTC and stole 850,000 coin of the top crypto asset by market cap worth about $500 million at the time. At today's prices, that equates to $22 billion worth of BTC. So if you didn't file, if you are a Mt. Gox creditor and you didn't file, you're going to have to wait an entire year. And why anybody missed their, their deadline for filing is beyond me unless they're dead or in a coma or something like that. But in either event, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. I got West Texas intermediate up a third of a point to $89 and 92 cents a barrel. Brent North sea is down scant to $93 and 25 cents. Natural gas is up almost a full point to $2.63 and gasoline is down almost two full points to $2 and 57 cents. Gold and some of the other metals are doing okay this morning. Gold is up a third, 1945 bucks and 50 cents. Silver is up a half point. Platinum is up almost a full point. Copper is down scant. Palladium is down almost a full point. Almost all ag is in the green today. Biggest loser is cotton, 0.71% to the downside. Biggest winner today is going to be lumber, one and a half to the upside. I got live cattle up almost a full point. Lean hogs are down another three points today. Feeder cattle are up 0.22%. The Dow is down a quarter of a point. S&P futures down scant. NASDAQ, uh, or rather, NASDAQ is up 0.37%, and the S&P mini is up scant. Real money chilling out at $26,592.44. 
Uh, average transaction value is almost half a Bitcoin. Median transaction values are $32.61. So more actual economic activity and less bullshit inscriptions. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, 0.32 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 45 in in BTC taken in fees in the last 24 hour period with a slight drop in hash rate. We're at 392.34 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge. It's 6.1 United States pennies. That tells you what the rest of the field is doing. $517.4 billion of total market capitalization is 4.01% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 13.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,492,755.55 of. 4,825 and a quarter of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at $128.1 million, being run over 16,000. 238 nodes that we can see and 69,126 payment channels that we know about 78.7% of all of that is being run over Tor. And that's good to see. We have, how many blocks do we have? Looks like we've got, Hmm. 230 blocks are carrying 466,774 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. Top priority transaction values are 43 Satoshis per V-byte. You're going to get it in at a low priority of 42 Satoshis per V-byte. And anything under 7.5 Satoshis per V-byte are being purged for mempools around the world. And uh, mempool.space is flashing 385 exahashes per second. So those two numbers pretty much match uh, the one, the hash rate from earlier and this hash rate. They're very, very close. So therefore I'm going to say that we are at a, well, a lull in hash rate. It always happens after a difficulty adjustment. Uh, I'm number 10 on a fountain app charts and it was due to Fatoshi with 21,021 Satoshis saying, ignore all following con comments. No, dude, not going to happen. Bubba with 21,012 sat says, does crypto news matter anymore? I mean, who really fucking cares about BitBoy, SBF, ECT, ECT, et cetera. Oh, sorry, et cetera, et cetera. Can we just be angry about these things occurring on Bitcoin or why modern men all act like girls? The mafia should run all businesses. Oh, oh, Bitcoin will not fix shit unless Bitcoiners fix their personal shit. Yeah, I agree totally with what Bubba's saying. Bubba's a good guy. Uh, I have every once in a while I get a chance to see him, uh, not live and in person, but you know, in places like Fountain and stuff like that. I've I've known him for you know quite a while now, in fact. But yeah, you know, I've thought about the mafia running all businesses, and I kind of think about you know I think about a, what a world looks like. The problem is that we're kind of in the middle of it. The mafia is kind of running everything but they're running the governments. And that's where things get really, really dicey. Because Bub is suggesting that they run all businesses. Well, they kind of do because they run the government and the government runs the businesses. But if it were a case where mafia ran your, your basic mom and pop shops, your, your pizza parlors, your Sears and Roebuck, which no longer exist, JCPenney, and normal people that didn't want to engage in criminal activity ran the government, 
we might actually have a, a, a nice, robust balance of power. Good management with a little bit of criminal activity down on the low side, and then some maybe highly moral and ethical people on the government side, and they would maybe check and balance each other. It'd be an interesting, it'd be an interesting thing to see. Letter 6173 with uh, Striper Boost says, we need a orange-pilled AI, then the circle would be complete. Axelrod with 5K says, nice. Nailed the movie quote from 1987's Robocop. Impressive. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Pies with 1420 says, I love the move from Swan to River. Again, I respect the Bitcoin-only education and self-custody that Swan pushes, but honestly, I've been a lot happier with Cash App and River than I ever was with Swan. Kick. Oh, hey, thanks, Kick. Yes, I I did get the zap, by the way. I'm looking at it right here with a, a row of sticks says, enjoyed listening live, but not sure if the 1K sats got through via Amethyst. So I doubled down with a row of sticks via Fountain. Great show as always. God's death with 370 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And O2ZX with 222 sats, a short row of ducks. Nice to join the live stream in zap and chat. Cheers. User with a lot of numbers with a hundred says your words paid me the sats and now my words give them back. Pies finishes us out with a hundred says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bybit will suspend service in the United Kingdom following financial regulators, quote, final warning. Oh, God, Cointelegraph, and it's written by Turner Wright. Dubai headquartered cryptocurrency exchange Bybit has announced the suspension of services to the United Kingdom in response to pending rules from the country's Financial Conduct Authority, or the FCA. In a September 22nd announcement, Bybit said that it will start suspending services to UK residents on October the 1st by no longer allowing new account applications. And this move will be followed by the suspension of new deposits, new contracts, and changes to positions for existing users one week later on October the 8th. Quote, in light of the UK Financial Conduct Authority's introduction of new rules regarding marketing and communications by crypto businesses, Bybit has made a choice to embrace the regulation proactively and pause our services in this market, said the firm. Bybit's date to wind down its services will fall on the FCA's deadline for crypto asset firms marketing to users in the UK to be in compliance with certain rules aimed at providing clear, fair, and not misleading marketing regimes. The FCA first announced the rules in June and issued an additional warning on September the 21st, reminding firms of the October 8th deadline and the risk of criminal charges. According to Bybit, the suspension of services will allow the company to focus its efforts and resources being able to best meet the regulations outlined by the UK authorities in the future. The FCA suggested that certain firms could have until January the 24th to be in compliance with the marketing rules, but would need prior approval from the regulator. Bybit announced a similar winding down of services in Canada back in May, citing, quote, recent regulatory developments at the time. However, the firm has expanded into new markets, including Kazakhstan, where it received in-principle approval to operate as a crypto custody service provider in May. (coughs) So Canada and the UK is about to lose Bybit. 
I think, I honestly kind of think that they're saying that it's going to suspend their services, but I wonder, because they didn't say it, they didn't make it clear, at least in this article, if Bybit was going to just readjust their marketing and then come back once they receive approval for their new communications and marketing schema, for lack of a better term, and then open all that stuff back up. Again, as usual, we will have to see. Uh, Prescient Jaw from Cointelegraph tells us that, wow, Core Scientific seals a $77 million Bitmain deal for 27,000 Bitcoin mining rigs. 27,000 ant miners. Oh, oh my God. Cryptocurrency mining hardware maker Bitmain and bankrupt crypto mining firm Core Scientific have agreed on a combination of equity and cash to finalize the deal on expanding mining facilities. Let me pause. You read that or you heard that right. The bankrupt crypto mining firm Core Scientific is expanding their mining facilities. How does that work? Well, it's not all, it's actually not as unusual as you might think. It definitely flashes a signal to me that tell that it tells me that they have their shit squared away, that they're going, that their bankruptcy isn't going to result in the dissolution of the company, or at least that's what they're projecting. But honestly, if they didn't really feel it, I kind of, I kind of don't think that they would lie about it. It's always possible that there's some kind of weird subterfuge under the surface of all this. But the way that I'm reading this right now is that they are not going to do this unless they are sure that their bankruptcy and restructuring is going to go through. It's going to clear the courts and they're going to come out the other side and they're still going to be in business. Continuing. The deal between the two mining companies will see Bitmain supply 27,000 Bitcoin mining rigs for $23 million in cash, along with $53.9 million worth of common stock of the bankrupt firm. Apart from the mining hardware purchase deal, Bitmain and Core Scientific have signed new hosting agreements to assist Bitmain's mining operations, pausing again. Bitmain... If they didn't have some kind of assurances that the bankruptcy of Core Scientific wasn't going to come out the other side intact, they're not going to take $53.9 million worth of their shitty common stock. If they felt for an instant that there was no way that that stock would be worth anything on the other side, they sure as shit are not going to use it to secure the other side of a $23 million purchase of 27,000 mining rigs, which comes out to, I think it's around $2,850 per unit of mining rig. That, that's, I'm just saying that there's something about this that's telling me that Core Scientific is going to be fine. The deal was finalized in August when a court filing highlighted Bitmain's plan to sell mining hardware in exchange for cash and equity as part of Core Scientific's restructuring plan. Apart from Bitmain, the restructuring plan also included Anchorage, BlockFi, and Mass Mutual Asset Finance. Apart from Anchorage, all other three firms chose a mix of cash and equity options to settle their claims. The expansion and investment plan by Bitmain will come into force by the fourth quarter of 2023, pending approval from a judge. Once approved, the hardware will potentially add 4.1 exahashes to Core Scientific's hash rate. The two mining 
crypto mining companies have also agreed to work together to upgrade Bitmain's last generation miners hosted at Core Scientific's data center to further increase the firm's productivity. Core Scientific filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in December of 2022, citing the financial crises and the declining price of Bitcoin as the key reasons behind its decision. The firm started facing trouble in the weeks leading up to its eventual collapse due to market turmoil. Okay, so that last that last bit, uh, if you're planning on building some kind of Bitcoin-based business, then pretend the price of Bitcoin is exactly one quarter to one third of its current price and base your business on that price. And you'll be in a much cleaner position to survive bullshit. Because these guys, I guarantee you, they're like, oh, let's base it on $50,000 of Bitcoin because it was at 63. That wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. You got to be real pessimistic. You've got to be the ultimate of bears when it comes to the price of Bitcoin if you're starting a Bitcoin-based business, especially any business that is directly and intrinsically attached to the actual price of Bitcoin, like you're making loans with it or you're, cust- you're I don't know, whatever. If you depend, if, like if you literally depend on the price of Bitcoin, like a mining company, right? I mean, you, if, you've, if you've taken loans out, and you're thinking that you're putting your uh, mine Bitcoin up for collateral at sixty three thousand to buy all this equipment, then all of a sudden you get a plunge down to twenty, dude, you're you're screwed, right? But if they had acted like the price of Bitcoin wasn't sixty three thousand and was more like twenty two, they'd be in a much better position, and they would probably not be going through bankruptcy. But all that said, it looks it looks good for Core Scientific, but what Bitcoin miners could they be buying? Because like I said, you know, doing the math, when you get to it, if, if you take the, if they're buying at face value, new miners from Bitmain and Bitmain is accepting the $23 million in cash and the 50 some odd million dollars in stock. And they're, and that's, uh, they're selling their machines like they were being paid in hundred percent cash then you're looking at 2850 bucks per unit. What is selling that Bitmain has at 2850 bucks? Well, it looks like it might be the Bitmain Antminer S21 series, which has just been unveiled by Bitmain. This is no bullshit Bitcoin. Quote, the Antminer S21 is the first new series that Bitmain has introduced since it revealed the Antminer S19 XP at its World Digital Mining Summit in Dubai in November of 2021. Quote, according to a Bitmain representative, the company expects to manufacture at least 50,000 units per month. Half of those air-cooled and half of them are liquid-cooled over the next eight months. But the company may produce as many as 100,000 per month if there is sufficient demand, wrote Hashrate Index. Bitmain expects to begin shipping the first round of Antminer S21 uh, units in December, but it will ship the bulk of its new S21 inventory in the first quarter and second quarters of 2024. At launch, the Antminer S21 has a promotional price of $14 per terahash, for an order of 1.2 
uh, for an order of 1.2 exahashes or more, which comes out to $2,800 per unit for the air-cooled models and $4,690 per unit for the liquid-cooled models. So here's the stats. The Antminer S21 hash rate, 200 terahashes per second. The efficiency, 17.5 joules per terahash. And the wattage, it's a 3,500 watt unit, so 3.5 kilowatts. Now, here's the, that's the air-cooled unit. So 200 terahashes per second, 17.5 joules per terahash, and 3,500 watts. Here's the hydro. It's the same unit, but cooled with liquid. Its hash rate is 335 terahashes per second. That's a full 135 terahashes per second more than the exact same unit air-cooled. Its efficiency is 16 joules per terahash, so it takes 1.5 joules per terahash less. And its overall cooled wattage, 5,360 watts, 5,000 360 watts. You can push so much more with liquid cooled than air cooled. It's scary. This is same unit, different cooling. There's, there's not any, like, as far as I can tell, the only thing different physically aside from liquid cooling about these two units is probably going to be the power supply. So they got a 3,500 or maybe a 5,000 watt power supply on the air cooled unit, but it's only going to run at 3,500. You got 5.36 kilowatts being coursed through the liquid-cooled version. That's how much better liquid-cooled is. That's how much more heat you can extract with a liquid-cooled system than an air-cooled system. And what's great about that liquid-cooled system, you can pipe that heat into a heat exchanger into like hot water heaters and use that hot water to heat up like greenhouses or even your own house. It depends on, you know, what you want to go with. Apartment buildings. I mean, yes, you can do it with the air-cooled versions too, but you're going to extract a lot more heat and be able to move heat more efficiently around a longer distance if that heat is contained in liquid rather than air. These units are going to be badass. If they don't break, That, that there's always a possibility that Bitmain ships a lemon. It's happened before. It can happen again, but we move on. Tether has resumed making loans. Yes. It insists that it maintains an excess of reserves, according to Andrew Asmakov out of Decrypt. Stablecoin issuer Tether has resumed providing new loans denominated in USDT to clients, a move that comes nearly a year after the company had announced its intention to discontinue offering collateralized loans in 2023. (coughs) The revelation comes from the company's latest quarterly financial update, which indicates an increase in USDT denominated loans. As of June 30th, the report showed assets that include $5.5 billion in loans which was up f- from $5.3 billion in the previous quarter. The Wall Street Journal earlier today cited Tether spokesperson Alex Welch, who confirmed that the company has indeed extended new loans during the second quarter of 2023. Quote, we received a few 
short-term loan requests from clients with whom we have cultivated long-standing relationships with, and we made the decision to accommodate these requests, Welch explained. According to Welch, there were two primary reasons for the loans. The first was to prevent any depletion of customer liquidity, ensuring that clients could continue their operations without facing liquidity constraints. The second reason was to assist clients so they wouldn't have to sell their collateral at potentially unfavorable prices. However, Tether's move to resume lending the USDT stablecoin contrasts with an announcement from the company late last year. In December of 2022, the company declared its intention to reduce secured loans in USDT reserves to zero throughout 2023. The statement was made in the wake of the collapse of the crypto exchange FTX and was aimed at restoring trust in the market. Along with Welch's comments to the Wall Street Journal, Tether responded to the report regarding its decision to resume stablecoin lending activities in a separate blog post defining its actions, quote, The banking industry is facing significant challenges and is proven incapable of keeping up with solving global financial market or or keep up with evolving global financial markets, something the Wall Street Journal has disregarded countless times in pursuit of tarnishing the reputation of true innovators like Tether, said the company. According to Tether which operates out of the British Virgin Islands, traditional financial institutions are failing to meet the requirements of their customers in a manner that can be detrimental to a thriving economy, and few have taken the time to examine this further. Rather, they are spending time scrutinizing Tether, who, in the interest of its customers, have accrued more than $3.3 billion in excess reserves to effectively reduce secure loan exposure as a net result, asserted the company. Tether also highlighted that it has accumulated more than $3.3 billion in excess reserves, saying that anyone with a minimum understanding of financial markets would see that the company is in all effects offsetting the secured loans and retaining such profits within the company balance sheet. The company added that it is still committed to removing the secured loans from its reserves. Additionally, Tether projected a substantial yearly profit of $4 billion, stating that this high level of profitability and its substantial reserves are effectively mitigating the impact of secured loans, allowing it to maintain a healthy balance sheet. Quote, this demonstrates the need for a more nuanced understanding of how stablecoins function and dispels any misconceptions regarding Tether's security. Or one might wonder if this is merely an attempt to manipulate tabloid-style reporting to appease their friends entrenched in the old guard, said Tether. This isn't the first time that the Wall Street Journal has cast doubt on Tether's ability to meet redemption requests during times of financial stress. In December of 2022, the paper published a report expressing concerns about both Tether's products and the claims that the loans were not fully supported by collateral. Tether did not immediately respond to Decrypt's request for additional comments on the matter. In a separate development today, Tether has announced that it is expanding its reach beyond financial technology with a strategic investment in Northern Data Group, a Germany-based provider for data center and cloud environment services. Through this partnership, the two companies will collaborate on artificial intelligence, communication, and data storage initiatives. Ladies and gentlemen, Damen und Herren. That's the end of that article. But that's not the end of the story now, is it? Down in the comments, can somebody put in what they think this story 
actually means. And I'll give you a hint. I'm not thinking that it means that the Wall Street Journal is trying to FUD Tether. Okay, that's part of it, but that's low level. I'm talking high level. At the highest level, what are the implications of them resuming loans and the fact that they are going to partner with Northern Data Group? There's two major possible ramifications that is suggested, not just by Tether, okay, but the entire landscape that is Bitcoin and the collective cryptocurrency. All right, so you guys put your ideas down there and see if um, see if we meet on on common terms. I'm going to start with the second one first. We're seeing a lot of movement of Bitcoin data centers. Or, or okay, let's let's start here. I'm seeing movement from Bitcoin mining companies that are start that have already started to branch out into data centers. Where is, where is it that Bitcoin miners can strategically help with data centers? Well, you have to be in a, a pretty urban environment. Why do I say that? You need data access. You need great big data throughput, throughput pipes. That's for the data center side. right? If you're serving up, if you're, you're, if you're taking on some of the load of Netflix streaming, as a service for the guys over at Netflix and they're contracting with you to keep their movies on your servers, you've got to be able to spit that out, right? Not getting the request in to be able to spit out the movie. That's nothing. You've got to have output. You've got to have that, that export data pipeline as wide as you can possibly get. You can only do that in an urban environment where you've got fiber or something, you know, something of that matter where you can connect to the internet. Bitcoin mining? No, you can do that shit anywhere. You, you can you can hit the Blockstream satellite for that shit. You don't need any kind of connectivity to the internet whatsoever, or at least through fiber or or some kind of cabling, right? All right. So now with the advent of this this craze in AI that I don't think is actually the fad part of AI will probably die off, but the utility it it, it won't change. All right. Now AI is being looked at by Bitcoin Bitcoin miners, especially those that have already jumped off the ship or, well, have expanded their, their footprint to include data services, are going to start hosting AI. It's, the ramification here is very clear. Bitcoin mining, AI, data infrastructure. They're going after Amazon. Amazon, unless they actually start mining Bitcoin, I I think they're going to get their lunch eaten by a whole group of smaller companies that the whole thing becomes decentralized. And Amazon, while it won't die, it will certainly take a chunk out of their balance sheet. They, these guys are going after Apple. They're in, and not the product development Apple. I mean, their infrastructure, the, the back end of Apple. They're going after Microsoft. They're going after Amazon. They're going after all these guys. And I'm not sure, I'm sure that the people that are at the top echelons of those companies realize that, but they've never said it anywhere. So I'm going to say it first. These guys are going to start eroding the market share of the big five data 
hosting companies of the world. And they're going to be more effective at it because that Bitcoin front end is going to allow them to take part in balancing grids for municipalities. And Amazon can't really do that. They can't just shut off their miners. But Bitcoin miners can. And if they keep it balanced, if the Bitcoin miners that get into AI and they get in they're, they're into uh, cloud storage and data storage, if they keep those three things balanced, not separate, but balanced, and when they shut down the Bitcoin miners, they don't just power up more AI shit or they don't just power up more cloud computing and because that doesn't make sense. Shifting, you know, shifting, you either have your capacity on your your cloud storage or you do not. So that's out of the picture. But if instead of shifting the, the electricity over to running more GPUs and they sell it back to the municipalities, then they're always going to be welcome as people who help balance the grid. Amazon cannot do that unless Amazon gets into Bitcoin mining. And if Amazon gets into Bitcoin mining, what do you think is going to happen? This is going to force Amazon and the other companies to not only consider, but when they see their balance sheet start to erode, they're going to jump into Bitcoin mining in a way that's going to make your head spin. I'm just saying. So be prepared for that. The second thing that it, that it suggests, actually, hold on for a second. I got I to gotta look at something because I just screwed up. Do, do, do. The loans, the USDT loans. Uh, Do you have any idea how difficult it is right now to get a home loan? Even if you've got, I mean, even if you've got a good size down payment, everybody's working. There's a lot of banks that they're just not doing it. Wells Fargo, they they have gotten almost completely out of home loans unless you're talking about million dollar, multi-million dollar houses. They don't really want to talk to you if you want to buy you know, a $270,000, you know, you know, house out in the middle of the sticks in some rural area. They really don't give a shit. But Tether might. And if Tether's making loans and they're able to not die and they're, and they're doing, they actually do have practicing good risk management, then they may actually take over stuff like home loans, auto loans. So banks are now in danger from the very same industry because Bitcoin is more than just money, isn't it? It's everything. It's data. It's internet infrastructure. It's AI. It's cloud storage. It's home loans. It's auto loans. It's basically your legacy fintech. Is All of the legacy systems, Bitcoin's like acid. It's just you throw acid on something and it just starts eroding it. You leave a, a you know an iron nail in, you know in water long enough and it will just dissolve. It'll take a long time, but it will definitely dissolve. Same thing's happening here. So be aware, you're living at a time where great change is upon the horizon, and the time to form your relationships with the new guard is now. Actually, the best time was yesterday. And the next best time is right now. <clears throat> speaking of <clears throat> speaking of all that, let's talk a little bit about BTC Pay Server and Hoddle Hoddle. Uh, how, uh, well, yeah, okay, this is no bullshit Bitcoin. How Hoddle Hoddle used BTC Pay to onboard 20 merchants 
and facilitate 1.1 BTC at a Bitcoin conference. This is a case study. The case study provides a detailed, systematic approach undertaken to overcome identified challenges, demonstrating the adoption of Bitcoin in a real-world setting. Quote, by addressing the volatility concerns, simplifying the transaction process, and ensuring attendees at the conference had the necessary resources to make Bitcoin transactions, a system was created that replicated the familiarity of fiat currency transactions while leveraging the benefits of Bitcoin. The collaborative effort of HODL HODL, BTC Pay Server, and several other projects culminated in an enriching experience for both merchants and customers manifesting in 2,944 transactions averaging 9.2 euro per transaction, aggregating to a value greater than 1.1 BTC or 27,079.99 euro. In a survey conducted on merchants after the conference, 83% of participants said that they would be willing to accept Bitcoin at next year's conference. 80% said accepting Bitcoin had a positive reaction from their customers. And 50% of the merchants replied that they would be open to offering Bitcoin as a payment option in their businesses in the future. The success story from the Baltic Honey Badger Conference could serve as a blueprint for similar events and potentially for a broader array of retail businesses looking to integrate Bitcoin into their operations seamlessly. And this is why, at Bitcoin conferences moving forward, it should be done that there is somehow a general outreach to local merchants wherever that conference is. I mean a concerted effort, not some half-assed, put up a flyer. I'm talking go, you know, a whole team of people months before the conference begins. And all they're doing is offering like a free ticket and, and you know, give, give them like a, a, like, you know, free tickets on like, let's say it's the Bitcoin conference, like the big one. And you get to go to the conference on that one day, you know, not everything, just the gallery or something like that and get merchants in there to see what it looks like to actually buy stuff with Bitcoin, with the gear that we have, right? A concerted effort, a real effort. And say, look, you don't have to go to any of the, in, in, any of the talks. We just want you to come in so that we can demonstrate how this works. It puts, the, it puts all the merchants in a position where the, all they got to do, take an hour out of their day, go to this place and see what it looks like to actually buy stuff in Bitcoin. You know, watch, let them be in a situation where they can do it themselves or simply watch and observe or, or actually I'm thinking more and rather than, or have it to where they could set, not set up their own booth, but have like a practice booth or something where they're on the end functioning as the merchant that they are and what it's like to actually take the payment and not see it from the customer standpoint of giving the payment. That way they'd be able to see both sides of that transaction. What is it like for me as a merchant? But what if I'm a customer? Because all merchants are customers of other merchants and all customers are customers of all merchants. It just works that way. So this is an example of what it would be like 
And the guys, from what I can understand, the guys that, you know, these are probably, you know, it didn't say that they had nothing to do with Bitcoin at all in this particular article, right? But, but, but that's what I would be going after on all of these conferences if this were to happen. Is you go out and you find the people that, like, this goes back to the orange pill, um, orange pill article that I read at the beginning of the show, right? How do you orange pill? Well, what's your audience? Well, what's this audience? These are merchants. Well, what are their problems? Well, they got to have a way to take money and take it fast, especially in a busy environment like a lunch counter, right? They've also got to be able to account for every single fiat cent of value that that transaction represented at that time and be able to keep that information in an easy to read format for who? Their accountant. Because they most likely have an accountant. Some of them will do it themselves, in which case that you need to make it easier, easy to read for them. But if they're doing their own accounting, if their accountant can read it, they can probably read it, right? <clears throat> but they also need to be on the other side of that bench. They have to be able to function like a customer and feel the customer experience as well. And if they are happy on both sides of that of that coin, pun intended, then they're way more likely to adopt what it would take and go through the training of their employees to be able to take this stuff than if they had never been to a conference before or had that kind of environment. And the conference offers the environment to be able to teach that in. So if you have or know of anybody who wants to do a conference, you could even do this at the scale of a Bitcoin meetup where you invite merchants to come to the meetup and you just have little demonstrations and say, this is what it would be like. And by the way, you know, you're not using your own money. If you want to bring your burritos, you know, and sell them to the crew, we'll buy them. And that way you can actually sell something and get some real money and see how it likes. But if they, if they don't want to have any risk whatsoever, then all they got to do is risk a little bit of their time just to see it. You could do this anywhere. And I highly recommend that we start doing that. Oh, by the way, Domus version 1.6.18 in test flight on iOS has been released and it offers the Noster database profiles. Uh, JB55 says the following, I just pushed Domus build 18, which is the first major Noster DB integration. Now, all Domus profiles are stored in Noster DB. You will always be able to search profiles from people that you've seen in the past. There are also crash fixes in the build as well. Check it out out for the full change log. I have done that. I've got I've gone up to uh, build eighteen on test flight. I did have to redo that whole um, zapper script thing, where you run this little script in the background and it uh, reinfor- it, it gives you back your zapper because Apple took it away from Domus. Uh, so far, it worked. Looks good. I can zap and it seems to be faster, but I haven't been playing with it for more than an hour. So I, you know, I, I got to get some more, uh, but it looks stable. It's and, and mine was crashing a lot in the last build. This time it seems to be much better. Uh, again, we will have to see. And speaking of markets and, and merchants and stuff like that, please check out market.noster.com. That is market.noster.com. N-O-S-T-R as usual is the spelling. Uh, and go buy something. Uh, it looks like, in fact, for the guys over on um, 
what am I trying to say? The guys over on Zapstream. Yeah, you guys. Here's a picture of it. Uh, it's market.noster.com. Uh, you can go and check out all the, 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 here's like the basic offerings from small shops. If I want to, I can go visit like a guy's full stall and say, well, they've got all this stuff. And, you know, so you kind of, and I can go back and go to somebody else's stall. And let's say, let's say, but this is all Bitcoin stickers. There's Bitcoin faucet. Let's see. Oh, actually, hold on. Let me do something. Let me go back to the major, major one. Let's see. Bitcoin stickers, Greenpeace skull. Let's go to Nostra pin badges and view their stall. They have a completely different stall with only three offerings. And if I want, I can go buy, I don't know. Let's go buy this uh, pin badges. Yeah. Oh, and I, I, I pressed for the guys on, on, <clears throat> on audio only. I pressed, they have a little shopping cart next to the products. It looks, it's very intuitive. It make, it'll make sense. So for 30,000 sats, I bought a pin badge that says Noster, or I'm buying a pin badge that says Noster, and I see that there are 14 left. So I even get a notion of the inventory on uh, each one of these particular products. So up in the right-hand corner, there's what? A shopping cart with a little indicator that says I've got one thing in my shopping cart, so I'll go there. And, oh, I got to pay 30,000 sats. I have one of these. This is, by the way, I'm, I'm like, now I'm looking at my shopping cart. I've got a Nostra pin badge in there. It says that it's 30,000. And then it's got a little window that's basically that says, well, how many do you want? Do you want two of them? Yeah, sure. I'll take two. And then it does the math for me. It does 60,000 Satoshis is what I've got to pay. And now I proceed to check out. It's a little button. Like I said, this is really intuitive. Oh, look, free shipping. Bitchin'. Okay. I will take that. Ah, see, it's already screwed up there. I, I wanted to actually, let me go back and yep. See what it's not doing is it, it says that I'm going to pay 60,000 Satoshis for two of these pins. But when I go down here to the total, right before I proceed to checkout, it only lists. Let me see if it'll do this. Hold on for a second. Let me see if I tab out, if it'll readjust and it doesn't. So it still thinks I only want one, even though some functionality suggests that it understands that I have two and that I'm going to pay twice the amount of 30,000 sats for two pins. So it now only wants 30,000. So I'm probably only going to get one pin. So we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll go past that. So I have payment methods. I have a lightning network. I can choose a radio button for BTC on chain. They even have a cashew. That's right. Mints apparently work on this one. Uh, again, this is market.noster.com. And then I'm just going to confirm my purchase and I'm just going to buy this pin. And I'll put in a message that says, I like the pin. And then it's going to go for my address and I'm going to say living under a bridge in LA. And it was my email, nunya, nomail.com. And then it wants my NPUB, but that's optional. Okay, great, great. I can play, now I can place my order. I'm going to place my order. Oh, and here's where it breaks for me. Account setup, which is nowhere in the head of the page. Like right when you get there, I was kind of thinking that I'd already be logged in with my Noster NPUB. 
No such luck. And what makes this one worse, and this is just for now, I'm sure they'll fix it. But for now, I will not use it. Why? Because it wants me to enter my Noster private key, or it will offer to generate me a new one. And I might do that, but I am certainly not going to enter my Noster private key into market.noster.com. Right? That was the end of the road for me with markets.noster.com. I highly recommend nobody ever plug their private key into anything. Use GitAlby. It's right here. You know, it's like, I, I've, I've got it all set up. I've got like, you know, I've got my, uh, where, where is it? Where's settings? I got like uh, down here, Noster. I can go to my accounts, my private key. I can do all that kind of stuff. And it handles my private key. That's, I didn't mind putting it into GitAlby. But GitAlby is a browser extension and it does all kinds of stuff. It functions as a lightning wallet. It functions as all kinds of other wallets, right? It doesn't, it does all kinds of stuff, but it also will manage your private, your Noster private key and log into all these Noster services. But the problem here is that market.noster.com does not have the functionality where it will allow GitAlby to log in for you. And until such time as that occurs, I cannot use market.noster.com, but I'm very excited about this particular project. I highly recommend that you go check it out. Do not, do not, do not put your private key in. If you want to test the full functionality of this thing, then generate a new private key. Let market.noster.com do it for you. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Here we go with dad says jokes. Uh, why was the little strawberry crying? Her mom was in a jam. That is so awful. That's just, that's just cruel. <laughs> that's just a cruel, cruel joke for the, to end this week off of, or off with. Um, <clears throat> what I got, I got wave lake for you. I got a, I got a tune. I do. I got to go. I got to go make sure that I get this up here so that everybody can see it. It is, in fact, this one right here for all of you guys. Um, Heaven knows from IROH, and we're gonna we're gonna do that one here in a second. But I need to I need to look at something first to make sure that the guys over in the live chat can actually hear it because I I want that to happen. To see, just just to experiment, just just to see. <clears throat> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to dump out of this. Actually, no, wait, you know what? I'm just going to play it right now. So here it is. I-R-O-H and Heaven Knows.
that is going to do it for the show. Uh, if you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You can stream me Satoshis. You can drop me notes with Boostergrams. You can do all of that, and I appreciate every single one. I do read them all, I promise. Most of them I read on the actual show itself because I find it to be the best part of the show for me. It's the it's it's a good break for me. I love reading them. Please send them in. Whether if send in questions, send in anything that you want, man. Just try to you know keep it above board where I don't start spewing you know really hurtful crap or something like that before I can catch myself. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and and I'm your host David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.